A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she bore him a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord. rob it of its magic or anything, but just to acknowledge, well, a fact. Christmas was invented by the Empire. 336 years after the Roman Empire conspired in its torture and murder, the beliefs and practices that had developed around Jesus became the official religion of the Empire. So perpetually strange but true. And it was about that time, 336-ish, that the officials declared that December 25th would be the day on which the people would celebrate the birth of Christ. The date was a calculated move. A move to try to take over or at least edge in on the birthday of the unconquered sun, the Zoroastrian god Mithra, the solstice celebrations, the Jewish people had been celebrating Hanukkah at this time for centuries, so Christmas was the empire's attempt to Christianize a very not-Christian holiday season. And it still has that feel to me, like this holiday essentially, like in its platonic essence or something, is confused. Jesus or Santa, Target or Holy Days, it's messed up, mixed up. Christmas was invented by the Empire. Look around, of course people go into debt to fuel the capitalist system in this season above all seasons. I know this isn't easy to do like you can't undo what's been done, but you can dig around, you can look into the cracks, you can look into the corners that aren't really all that lit up, and you can wonder, 
what the stories about the birth of Christ felt like before the empire took it over, before everything was official, before anyone had ever really insisted upon or even strived for anything like Christian doctrinal uniformity. There was a lot of very diverse things going on religiously, belief-wise, and there wasn't really quite the idea among most people that there was like any one right way to think or any one right way to believe or worship. Even the Jewish people didn't try to convince other people to accept their beliefs and practices. There was no overarching system to govern Christian thought and belief. I'm sure it was a little bit chaotic, but I bet it was very lively. There were lots of stories circulating about the birth of Christ. A lot of people told a lot of different stories about Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus. The stories about Jesus that the community eventually deemed reliable or important were made canonical, we're very familiar with them. We know a fair amount about Jesus from scripture. The stories about Mary, the mother of God, didn't make the cut. The official documents, the Gospels we know, barely mention Mary. But don't let that fool you. People thought about, a lot about and talked a lot about the woman who, so it was said, became pregnant by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to the incarnate God? I mean, of course, who wouldn't talk about that? And despite the protests of the Protestants, people have never stopped talking about her, having visions of her, being healed and comforted by her. Stories of Mary are all over the place, outside the official narratives. Fatima, Lourdes, and Poland, Rwanda, Egypt, China, black-skinned, red-haired, crowned, bleeding. Authority, it seems like, has never been able to regulate her. And no wonder. She is such a scandal. Her womb being the place where the eternal God becomes a mortal human. Her flesh and blood and cells made God flesh. Tonight she makes a rare appearance in the official narrative, the church lectionary, the canonical Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew does everything he possibly can, it seems to me, to diminish her place. Maybe because in the time of Matthew, he felt that she needed diminishing, or maybe because he's a patriarchal freak. I mean, I love Luke's stories about Mary. Luke puts the Magnificat in Mary's mouth, and Luke, Mary calls for the upheaval of the system that runs the world. That seems right. Matthew says, now the birth of Christ took place in this way, and proceeds to tell us about Joseph. Joseph this, Joseph that. Joseph is a just man. Joseph resolved to divorce Mary quietly. Joseph listens to an angel who tells him not to, and somehow this makes Joseph the hero of Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. I find it a little off-putting that this is the way Matthew chooses to tell the story of a birth. Come on! Joseph 
is the hero. I keep wondering about the midwife. If there was a birth in those days, there was almost certainly a midwife. Do you think Joseph helped? Do you think that Mary did it on her own? In the Matthew, there's no last-minute finding of a stable, and Matthew, Mary apparently gives birth at home. If no one's written the midwife story yet, someone should. The story is begging for some midwife midrash. We get to hear about the midwives for Moses. They're like subversive heroines in the text. Maybe Matthew wasn't really trying to be so grossly patriarchal. Maybe he just paused to leave room for the stories that he didn't actually really know. Room for the counter-narratives to bloom between the lines, being a good Jew. He knew that's what happens. That's what you do. You leave a gap, and the gap will be filled. Let the counter-narratives bloom. Midwives in the first century gave laboring women a drink sprinkled with powdered sow's dung. To help relieve the pain, they softened the skin to ease the birth with the fat from a hyena or a goose. They had women bathe in wine in preparation for labor. The midwife's stories would be great. And of course, people have always wandered around outside the canonical boundaries. And why wouldn't we? As if orthodoxy required us to lack curiosity as if it required us to put edges around our wonder, as if faith required us to stick to the facts. Facts? Faith is faith in things unseen. It doesn't really live in the realm of facts. Facts are so tidy and dry. God incarnate, Mary, Christmas, it's all very messy. By definition, Mixed up, the Holy Spirit mongrelizing with flesh. The divine gets dirty here among the afterbirth and the capitalists, the empire, the humans. Christmas, the most impure holiday ever conceived. There is so much apocrypha out there about Mary that you could spend a lifetime studying it. But I thought looking at some of the versions would be interesting. Dancing Mary, Old Man Joseph. So in the prologue of James that was written like 120 years after the fact, if there was a fact, I mean if you want to put it that way, as if facts could possibly contain the whole of the truth, Mary is from a respected family. Her, her father's name is Joachim. Her mother's name is Anna. Her father's rich, but he and Anna are unable to have children like Abraham and Sarah, almost exactly like Abraham and Sarah. Anna's ridiculed for being childless, but then unexpectedly at a ripe old age, she conceives and gives birth to Mary. A lively, precocious, unusual daughter who was given to the temple when she's three. This little girl was delightful, the ancient Apocrypha says. It says that she expressed her elevated spirit in a dance on the temple steps. She lived at the temple until the onset of puberty when she couldn't stay there anymore, but luckily the high priest in charge got a message from God that he should send her with Joseph, an old man, a widower with young children. 
So Mary happily cares for the orphaned children of Joseph. They're closer to her age. They sing and dance and play. And when this young woman in his household, whom he barely really knows, becomes pregnant, he's alarmed. But maybe he's too old and wise and experienced to get all in an uproar about it. He lets it go. Mary gives birth to Jesus. Joseph recalls on his deathbed, according to the story, I had never heard of a woman who conceived without a man. Joseph has a difficult death. Jesus reads the morning and speaks the eulogy. Poor, licentious Mary. Celsus, 178-ish. We only know about his version from the objections to his version, but he insisted that Jesus invented his virgin birth. In fact, Mary was a poor woman who subsisted by spinning wool. She was rejected by her husband, a carpenter, because she had sex with a Roman soldier named Panthera. So Jesus was the son of a Roman soldier and Mary an adulterous spinner of wool. Her womb was a great place of beauty. In the Syriac version, late first century, the Jewish concept of Shekinah played a huge role. The Syriac Christians had always imagined God's presence as Shekinah, which was a feminine presence. So this feminine divine presence worked so well with the notion of Mary, a woman, as the dwelling place for God. The son is the cup, they wrote, and the father is he who was milked. And the Holy Spirit is she who milked him. The womb of the virgin took it in, and she received it and gave birth. Something about that image I like. The father is the one who was milked. They imagine that the drama of sin and redemption was played out in a single female organ. The ear. As Eve had listened to the serpent in her ear, So Mary conceived her saving son through her ear. I can see why they might have gone there. Egyptian Mary, mother goddess Isis. Egyptian religion had a much-beloved, indigenous, formidable mother goddess of procreation, childbirth, and fertility, Isis. Isis had been loved in Egypt since the 24th century BCE, so when Christianity began to spread there, Naturally, Mary and Isis mixed. An ancient wall painting from just south of the Nile Delta, dated far, far, far earlier than the Gospels, has Isis holding her son in her lap, bearing a breast which she offers her son, while they both look directly at the viewer. It's totally the iconic Madonna and child. Isis was so loved and so loving, she found her greatest delight in healing humankind. She had great physical prowess and life-giving energy. She was the goddess of fertility. Ideas about Mary fused with ideas about Isis. Messy, confused, cool, I think. And then the empire's virgin. Around 313 or so, official doctrine was beginning to be decided. A coherent system was becoming a necessity. As Christianity and empire were being wed, the sort of local, small-batch nature of Christian practice and belief and worship needed to be organized. 
The empire needed there to be a clear sense of what a Christian was, and it had to be dignified enough to fit for an imperial religion. How to represent a God made flesh and his mother became an intense object of discussion. Mary's purity, Mary's virginity became the biggest thing. Traditions of Christian virginity among both men and women had become popular. In the empire, there was this sort of long-standing tradition of Stoic belief and practice, not very Jewish at all, which considered controlling the body, abstaining from sex, an enormous virtue. So Mary becomes the symbol of this sort of monastic purity. In the words of Athanasius, the great church father, Mary was a holy virgin. She did not desire to be seen by people, nor did she have an eagerness to leave her house. Nor was she at all acquainted with the streets. Rather, she remained in her house, being calm, imitating the fly in honey, I quote. And she did not permit anyone near her body unless it was covered. And she controlled her anger. She spent her days reading scripture, was never distracted, not even casting an eye on the view from her window. Not quite the lively girl dancing on the temple steps, pretty much the opposite of Isis. This version of Mary imagined, may I say, by strange old men, delighted in describing Mary's sealed and pure body as a closed gate. Because virginity was for them about separation. Sexual contact blended substances that should be kept apart. But virgin bodies were protected from such sullying, from such confusion. I'm not sure if that was really the right direction. The virgins of Mary are vast, and you know what? However much the imperial virgin tried to make itself the one and only virgin, it never worked. They eventually had to give up. Mary has been loved and imagined and reimagined over and over by marginalized people and marginal places, by peasants and women and Brazilian jungle cults, sometimes upsetting the social order, sometimes upsetting the church hierarchy. You probably know the story about the Virgin of Guadalupe. When in 1531 a Mexican peasant is walking past this holy hill of an ancient Indian, Indian goddess, the mother of corn, the bringer of life. In their attempt to Christianize Mexico, the Spaniards had destroyed her temple. But walking past this old site, Juan Diego is overcome by a vision of a dark-skinned, barefoot, pregnant girl looking suspiciously like the Indian goddess. She's trampling down snakes, She's crowned with stars. She addresses Juan in his own Indian language and says she's actually the Mary, the mother of God, and that he should build a church to her. So Juan rushes off to tell the bishop 
the Spanish bishop, who's actually not very pleased, and says, in effect, you stupid Indian man, are you crazy? The most holy virgin is hardly some heathen, brown-skinned girl. Have you no respect? So Juan Diego returns to the hilltop and prays, and the woman appears again. She asks the Indian man to open his cloak, and she fills it with roses. These impossible, beautiful, sweet-smelling sweet roses in December. So he goes back down and brings his cloak to the bishop, who falls to his knees when he sees her holy image imprinted on the cloth. Books are filled with conflicting versions of the story. Arguments ensue, but mixed up, hybridized, syncretized, whatever the Catholic Church eventually proclaims, the Virgin of Guadalupe, Guadalupe, the patron saint of Mexico. What happened? Did the pagan Indians who venerated the Aztec goddess finally become real Christians? Or did the mother of God just get in there somehow and mix it up, make it messy, unorthodox it? Sarah Miles, in her soon-to-be-released book, City of God, which is about the Mission District in San Francisco and how God seems to be present in this rowdy, heterodox, complex, and contradictory, mixed-up, beautiful body of Christ more than in a place where the borders are carefully guarded, in a place where the lines are meticulously drawn. She says we should seriously consider the very strong possibility that God is pointedly, continually making all things new by deliberately mixing them up. Maybe the Empire didn't invent Christmas in spite of the facts. Maybe it was God slyly getting into the cracks. God becomes human in the world. This world, this terrible, beautiful, messed up world, making hope where there is no hope, healing and loving and embracing any way, any how, any place. And nothing can stop this healing, loving, and embracing. That's the hope of Christmas. God born somehow, some crazy how, into this world.